today, today, I want to let you in on the secret of happiness. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. But I'm going to let you in on the secret. I am. I'm serious. Don't. I don't want this leaving this room. Secret. Despite being a wet blanket, despite being a curmudgeon, despite being a glass half empty, I'll say it, a pessimist, although I prefer the term realist, you know, because bad things happen in life and people let you down. I'm just saying, let's be real, okay? But despite all of that, despite having that kind of programming in my head and my heart, I want to be happy. I do. I want to be happy. I don't want to be depressed. I don't want to be disappointed in myself or other people. I want to have feelings of happiness. I really do, and you do too. You're just like me in your quest for happiness. I've done all kinds of things over my life to make myself happy. I've already told you several times, I'll probably have to bring this up when I see my counselor, but in ninth grade, man, I'm telling you, I know, right? Because if you're mentioning it regularly in sermons, there might be an issue, right? Okay? So in ninth grade, I was just so convinced. I wanted a girlfriend. I wanted a girlfriend so bad. I know I'm married now, so I'm happy. Okay? So I wanted a girlfriend so bad, and I thought that would make me happy. I thought that would make me happy. I turned down a three-quarter academic scholarship to Taylor University because I wanted to go to Wheaton College so bad I was convinced I would be happier there than at Taylor. I once shelled out $80 for a coffee maker that, again, I was convinced was going to make my morning so much better. It was going to, I was just going to have a happier cup of joe. You know why? It had blue LED lights, not red, blue it was a blue glow. Oh, it was awesome. All of us are on a quest for happiness. We're all on a quest for happiness. In fact, throughout life, when we're presented with two or three options, a girl, a major, a house, we choose the option we think will make us happiest. We do. Should I, should I go out with Christy or Shelly? Should I go out with Gary or Steve? Steve, Christy, I mean, and you make that decision because I'm just, I know I'll be happier with. In, in, in college, many of you who've been in college remember this moment. There was a major selection that you made. And what was going through your mind? Partly, oh, crud, I got to make money. <laughs> but then in part, which, which major, which life, which career path is going to make me happiest? And so we do this throughout life. The truth of the matter, though, the truth of the matter, though, is we're really bad about figuring out what makes us happy. We're horrible at it. I mean, we're absolutely horrible. Think about it. People get married and get divorced for the exact same reason. People start smoking and stop smoking for the exact same reason. 
people will be going a direction in life and then doing a complete about-face for the exact same reason. They're convinced that that decision, that person, that job, that turnaround will make them happy. It plays out this way. Oh, man, I just, I just love Gary. I love being with him. I, you know, he's so considerate. And, and I mean, on the continuum of guys, like, he's sensitive. Come on, how many guys are sensitive? I just, I know if we're married, I know if we're together, we'll be happy. I'll be happy. That same woman, 10 years later, is saying things like, I just, I just need some space. I just, I just need out. I need out from under Gary. I just need out from under Gary because I want a chance to be happy. Same woman, same man, same quest for happiness. This plays out all the time. Now, for those of you that are teenagers, this talk today is going to be a little unsettling because you haven't lived life long enough. And, and, and what I'm going to say to you, there's this going to be part of you that's like, no, uh-uh. no, you, you're wrong, Max, because I know, I know when I get my license. I know when I go to prom. I know when I graduate and move out. I just know. No, I, <laughs> I'm going to be happy. I know it. Now, the adults are snickering for a reason, okay? So take note. They're, they're snickering for a reason, all right? Not only are we not good at figuring out what makes us happy, we are constantly changing our minds. And our feelings, our feelings, as fickle as Kentucky weather. They are. So what do you do? How does someone get or stay happy? Well, the Bible actually has a lot to say about happiness. Did you know that? No, nobody told me that. I thought it was like, don't have sex with your uncle's goat, you know, go to church on Sunday, you know, pray. No, there's, there's a lot in this book about happiness, all right? That's from Leviticus. Some of you are like, where's that, Leviticus, okay? All right? <laughs> if, you, if you've never read the book of Leviticus, I'm telling you, Okay, mold, goats, all kinds of stuff. It's in there. Trust me, right? So Psalm chapter 1, the very first psalm. I'm going to read this to you. You can't see it on the screen. There's no screen today. So, you know, if, you, if it helps, close your eyes. You can drift off. Okay, here, here we go. Psalm 1. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. They delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. But not the wicked. They are like worthless chaff, Scattered by the wind, they will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly, for the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. So there you have it, the opening psalm, the opening volley of 150 of them, right? Interestingly, in all of those verses, six of them, 
There's not a single command. There's not one thou shalt or thou shalt not. And yet, we're being told something very important in the text. There is a contrast going on among the godly and the wicked. In the old-fashioned translations, it starts out this way. Blessed is the man who. Blessed is the man who. Blessed. Happy. Blessed people are happy people. And there's a connection in the Old and New Testament with these concepts. All right? So, oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. In other words, these are people who don't have the perspective or the worldview of people who are opposed to God, people who are rebelling against God. They have a different perspective, a different way of seeing life. Okay? Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners to stand in their shoes, to do what they do. In other words, these are people who aren't actively trying to have their own way and be on the throne of their own life. They're people who are living a life that's submitted to God and living the way God says life ought to be lived. You're like, oh, it's constricting. I know. Well, we'll get to that, right? So, oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. In other words, these are people who are not just, uh, not just obeying God, not just uh, having God at the, at the throne and, and living the way life the way God intended. These are people who also are not actively mocking those who attempt to live life the way God wants it to be lived. Haven't you run across people who say things like, man... I can't wait to get to hell because that's when the real party starts. Or, you know, Christians and all his rules and stuff, man, you just can't have any fun. And in America, people have said those kinds of things. And in a, in a sense, in a very real way, that's kind of mocking the right way to live. Okay, so, so the psalmist points the... Uh, maps this out, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, stand around with sinners, join in with mockers, you would think that the second part would mirror it. You'd think the second part would be, um, oh, the joys of those who uh, follow the advice of the wise, who stand with the righteous, who join in with the grateful. But it doesn't, there's no such mirror. The second part is, they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. In other words, they're familiar with what's in this book. They're reading it, they're reading it, they're reading it, they're hearing it, they're chewing on it, they're chewing on it, they're thinking on it, because God is saying something in these words, in these stories, in these books of the Bible. They're wanting to know what is it that God is saying about himself, about me, about the universe and the way it works, okay? So, there's this contrast, and there it is. So, blessed is the man who. You want to be happy, in essence? Don't pursue happiness, pursue God. If you want to be happy, don't go chasing after trying to make yourself happy. No, chase after God. Blessed is the man who. It's really weird. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, go ahead, I dare you. I'm paraphrasing. Go ahead, I dare you. 
Make yourself be happy. On your mark, get set, go. Doesn't work. C.S. Lewis says, happiness, Lewis says, is always a byproduct of something else. You go out, last night, Jenny and I had dear friends over. We've known them 22 years, right? They're over at the house. I've got a touch of bronchitis now. At one point, I said, Melanie, you got to stop. All I'm doing is wheezing. My chest hurts. Please, don't be funny anymore. It was that much fun. It was a, I, didn't, I didn't say to myself, I'm going to have fun tonight, dadgummit. No, I just got together with my friends, and in the interaction and what we were doing, fun happened. Happiness just came about. It was a byproduct of something else. If you're a parent, you know this is the case, you know? The day you bring your kid home from the hospital, there they are, and, and you're like, oh, I didn't know I could feel this way. I didn't know I could be this happy. It's not that you steeled yourself up and said, okay, today's the day. I'm going to be happy bringing the kid home from the hospital. No, it just, just happened. Two years ago, sorry, John, sorry, Jill, got to tell a family story. Two years ago, we're all in the van, and we're going to the beach, we're going to the beach, we're going to the beach. Here we are. We're on the highway, Highway 64, going to the beach. We hit the state line of West Virginia. The Vanderpools and the beach, Vanderpools plus beach equals fun. Vanderpools plus beach equals happiness, okay? This is an equation you can take to the bank. But when we hit the border of West Virginia, that is not what was transpiring in the van. <laughs> what was transpiring in the van was, Dad, make her put on her headphones. I can hear her DVD. Make her put on headphones, Dad. Oh, do I have to sit in the middle with... I thought I could sit in a seat all by myself. The blows come, okay? And so I did an uncharacteristic thing for me. I got mad. In the van with my kids on the way to have fun. And you know what I did? I slammed on the brakes and we pulled over. Seatbelt, you know activates because you stop so fast. I turn around, okay? <laughs> stop it right now. We are going to have fun. Then <laughs> the crying starts. <laughs> There's a couple of lessons here. One, that parenting technique doesn't work too well. And two, C.S. Lewis was right. <laughs> you can't make yourself have fun. It's actually a byproduct of something else. Interestingly, this, this little word, this way of talking about what it means to be truly happy, blessed, blessed is the man who, blessed is the person who. Jesus came on the scene a thousand or so years later, and he gives kind of the big sermon, his catalyst conference message, the one that's been in the hopper, and he's really developed. It's just awesomeness. The Sermon on the Mount, the big sermon. You know how that sermon starts? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are blessed. And so Jesus is doing this thing. He's talking to this crowd, and now, unlike Psalm 
One, Jesus has commands in here, but Jesus is making a big contrast between two groups of people throughout this sermon. And he wraps the sermon up with a bow at the end uh, of Matthew 7, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, right? And this is what Jesus says, Matthew 7, 24. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock, though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. As he's giving this message, he's standing on a hill in Galilee at a place where there were these sands, the alluvial sands. And during the hot, hot summer, the sand would get really hard. I mean, almost like concrete. But then in the rainy season, sand. And so the people hearing this, oh man, they got it covered. They're like, man, you're not kidding about building your house on sand. What kind of idiot does that? Stupid, it's foolish. <laughs> Why, we would build our house on rock. But Jesus is making this contrast and he's pointing to himself and he's saying, what is he saying here? In essence, what's the rock? Jesus' teaching that he just covered in the Sermon on the Mount. You build your life on what I just said, you're blessed. You build your life on something else, sand. Rains come, challenges and circumstances change. You're boo-hooing all the way to State Farm, only to be told, I'm sorry, we don't cover flood insurance. It's bad, okay? So, in light of these two passages, allow me to pose a question to us, all right? Here's my first question. What are you counting on or hoping will make you happy? What are you counting on or hoping that will make you happy? Were you right the last time? Ouch, I know. Sorry, didn't mean to go there. I know, we're all in counseling for it, right? See, if you really, if you really analyze our quest for happiness and this pursuit that we have to make ourselves happy, I think two things become clear. Thing number one, we're just not big enough. In the words of Doctor Who, we don't have enough whiz-bang to make ourselves happy on our own. I know the Whovians are like, woo! <laughs> okay? We don't have enough whiz-bang in us. It's like we need something else to make us happy. It's almost like something's missing. The second thing I think we can conclude about this pursuit of happiness is that when you and I look to a job or a house or a person or a change of venue as the means to make us happy, what we're kind of really doing is dethroning God and putting something else in his place because we're saying, hey God, you know, I love you and all and thanks for salvation, but I just want to be happy. And you know, if you love me, you would know that dot, dot, dot this job, 
selling this house, making her say yes. I would just be so happy. Come on, get with the program, God. Those of us who have lived long, life long enough, we know, because we've been down that road where we've had the hindsight of reflection, and we've gone, what was I thinking that that was going to make me happy? Duh! <laughs> you know, but those of you who are younger, eh, you probably haven't had that yet. So I want to suggest to you this morning something really simple yet really hard. Happiness is actually a byproduct of pursuing God. You want to really be happy? Go after God. Run after God. And happiness will happen. You're like, ah, oh, no, come on, it can't be. No, I'm telling you, it's that easy and that hard. So if you haven't been pursuing God, allow me to ask you why. For some of us, it might be as simple as trust. There's a part of you, and maybe it's because, well, you know, my parents were, or when I was 16, and you know, when it comes to God, I just think that He, and at the end of the day, you just need to know, Max, I don't trust Him. I don't trust that He has my best interests at heart. I don't trust that He's good. I just, I just don't see it. That's an okay place to be for a season. Because our first parents felt the same way. Adam and Eve to go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, they had complete satisfaction. I mean, life the way it should be lived. They were naked and yet felt no shame. It's great. It's awesome. It's beautiful. And they were one thing, one thing, one thing they couldn't do. Just one thing. That's it. One thing. And they went ahead and did the one thing they couldn't do. You know why they did that one thing? Completely happy. They, didn't, they were led to conclude they couldn't trust God, that they believed, God, you're holding out on us. There's something about this tree. There's something about knowing the difference between good and evil. There's something about this. Oh, my goodness, you don't, you don't have our best in You're holding out on us. We can't trust you. And the relationship was broken. And ever since we do this with God and we say to him, we can't trust you, and we go in all these places trying to fill this God thing that only God can fill. And at the end of the day, we're not satisfied. Duh! True happiness isn't going to come from a job or a house or a girl. So here's some practical, okay? So how do you pursue God? Let me get to that first, right? So some of you are like, okay, well, if, if, if real happiness is a byproduct of pursuing God, what does that look like? Thing number one. There's no substitute for Bible intake. You got to read this book. 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 You got to know what's in this book. Why do you need to know what's in this book? Why do you need to read this book? Because you'll be confronted with who God is and how he thinks and how life is supposed to be and what the universe, what's really true and right and beautiful about the universe. And it gives you an opportunity to live life the best way it can be lived, right? So you got you to know that. So there's no substitute. You can't get it through osmosis. You can't do an iTunes download. I mean, it, there's no patch. It's Bible intake. Well, it's hard, yeah, but it's easy. It's as easy as reading over and over and over again. So Bible intake. Second thing is unrushed time. If you're married or if you have kids or if you have a really good friend, you know what this is. If you're with your friend... If you're with your friend, and he or she is doing this the whole time with you, there's a part of you and you feel, 
Hello, me. You know, center of the universe, hello, me, 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 me. Look at me, be with me, pay attention to me. Sorry. <laughs> okay, so the unrushed time. So give God some unrushed time where he has the opportunity in the quietness that you've given him to talk to you, to say things to you, to remind you of who you are and what you're here for and how much he loves you and what you're really worth. One of my pathways is outsideness, okay, nature. So that's why I take a kayak occasionally and I go out to this secluded spot because when I'm there, I'm re-centered. God is reminding me who I am as an adopted son in his family. God is speaking to me about what's true about my life because so many times I deceive myself or I'm too hard on myself. Or, and it's a life-giving, satisfying thing. And the more centered I am with God, the more at ease I am with anything that comes my way. All right? So, Bible intake, unrushed time, and the last thing is come alongside other people who are also pursuing God. There's something about brushing up against other brothers and sisters in God's family that helps you stay on course and stay on target. So, those are three ways that you can kind of pursue God in your life. So, here's some practical advice, especially to those of you who are younger. The next time you're about to make a decision between option A or B, the next time you're about to make a decision between option A or B, ask yourself, why am I doing this? Pause. The pause is really important. Okay, so why am I doing this? Pause. Really. Is it because I think I'm going to be happy? If so, see that for the giant caution flag that it is. And slow down. So if you're uh, Christy or Susan, pre-med or history, buy the house, continue to rent. Oh, God, tell me. Why am I doing this, really? All right? Here's why this is important. Uh, I have a set of friends that uh, they, they live two, door, uh, two doors down from us when we all lived in married student housing. Um, really good set of friends. And they took another year to, for her to finish college. Then they went to seminary together and did five years of seminary, both of them each getting seminary degrees. After that, they did another five years so he could get a Ph.D. Okay, so now we're at year 12. And the whole time they waited to have kids because they were like, man, we, we're not going to bring kids into this mix. I mean, it's silly, you know, totally, you know, we will be much happier if kids come when we're all done. And so they made a decision about how, what was going to be best and how they were going to be happy. And then in year 12, they started trying and they started trying and they started trying and trying and tried and went to a doctor and tried some more and they couldn't have kids. The very thing that made them happy for 12 years all of a sudden was like a dagger to their hearts. 12 years later, the, the same thing, not having kids. Weird. Again, what you and I think is going to make us happy, our feeling, it's oh, sand. You want to be on a rock. There is a better way. And to do that, I want to tell you about my Grandma Vanderpool. Grandma Vanderpool, her name was Naona Viola Vanderpool. She went by Vi. <laughs> she was 86 pounds, dripping wet, 
and she was uh, she suffered from rheumatoid arthritis. So all her all her fingers were all you know mangled, and all her feet were mangled. And for the longest time, she was in a wheelchair. So you know, grandma had to you know somebody go get grandma. Here's some grandma stories. Once. Grandpa went to church. Grandpa was the spiritual man. When Grandpa died, I remember everybody talking about the fact that he was like Moses. He walked with God. And, and just the stories that he knew the Bible, all this stuff. He went to church one Sunday, and then he left. And do you know what he forgot? Grandma. Somebody else had to load her in the car and put her wheelchair and take her home. And then another day, another day, this godly man... This godly man went and was gardening, and Grandma had wanted to go sit outside in the front yard. It was a beautiful day. It was just a gorgeous day. And while he was gardening, the storm clouds rolled in. He's like, oh, my goodness, it's going to rain. And he went in the house and waited out the storm. An hour later... He heard her whimpers through the window of the living room, which he hadn't been in. This same man went, and I, I got to run some errands over in Gas City, which is just across the river. I'll be back. Called her two hours later and said, so you want to take a look at the new house? He had bought a house, didn't even tell her. So now that I'm married and now that I've got like 20 plus years past grandma and grandpa, do you know who I think was the saint? Grandma, you know, I never heard her complain once. If she had a Facebook account, there would not be a single post, you know, traffic sucks, or, you know, not a single negative post you'd see out of Grandma Vanderpool. When you would go in to see her, she, you know, there was this energy and this centeredness and this sense of well-beingness that you couldn't help but notice. And it's, I'm convinced, her life was centered on God. She had built her life on a rock. She had meditated on God's ways and was doing her best to live God's ways through the infusing of His Holy Spirit. She was blessed. She was happy. And having arthritis didn't ruin her happiness. Having a husband who left her out in the rain didn't ruin her happiness. Her happiness came somewhere else. And that, my friends, is what makes Christianity so, so attractive. Because you can be in a prison cell, you can win the lottery, and you can be actually happy. That's what I want for you and me.